Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Song, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Hey, Daryl. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Daryl Prell here, another episode of Inside. Inside Sales, the only real show. The only real podcast out there in the cybersphere that talks about real pragmatic, tactical stuff that every single sales development rep can take, listen to, and action at the end of the pod. We're glad you're here. Today's going to be fun. Of course, I fully admit it. I say it every single time. Today's going to be fun, but today's going to be especially fun. Maybe not for you, but it's going to be fun for me. And the reason it's going to be fun is because, well, it's like this. You know, my day job is I'm a chief marketing officer, even though this podcast, of course, is inside inside sales, but uh, I'm a marketer. I've carried the bag. I've had all the responsibility, but I like marketing. And normally I interview other people who are brilliant at certain areas of the sales process and they bring it. And I love talking to them. And I know you guys love hearing from them. I get the feedback all the time. Thank you. Keep doing that. Keep spreading the love. But today I'm mixing it up. I'm bringing on another marketer. So get that. Two marketers are going to sit and talk to you about selling. I know you're thinking, why the heck am I listening? But it, stay tuned. It actually all makes sense. So up on the other end of this wonderful recording is the talented, the wonderful, the very esteemed, the massively followed Matt Hines of Hines Marketing. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Daryl. Thanks for having me. I am pleased to have you, you know, full disclosure. As a marketer, there's not many marketers that I say, I want to talk to him. And you're one of the few. So I, I would be, you know, maybe afterwards you can send me a photo and maybe signed. Oh. I would be loving that. No, no one needs to see that. I have a face for podcast. This format works really well for me. I understand that, you know, and yes, you do have a face for podcast, but we'll move on. So with that said, so here's the scoop. Matt, let me set it up for you. I've had a couple of conversations recently, which are kind of fun conversations. One of the conversations I had not too long ago uh, it was actually an online live stream. It was a debate, and it was uh, me and my VP of sales, Scott Amerson, and the moderator was Chad Burmeister of Scale X. So I was outnumbered. But the debate was around where does the sales development rep role, the team, should it reside with the sales department or should it reside with the marketing department? Now, I'm going somewhere with this. But before I get to where I'm going, I just want to ask your opinion. Where do you think the SDR team should reside? Under which umbrella? I don't really care. But less important to me where they are is what they're doing. I've seen sales development teams thrive and flourish and be crazy successful sitting under both marketing and sales. I think if they're treated like a sweatshop, if they're treated like a numbers engine, if they're doing some version of thanks for downloading the white paper, would you like to see a demo? It's going to fail no matter where they are in the organization. So I think more important is to culturally figure out where does it make most sense and to set them up for success 
by ensuring that they're having better qualified conversations with better qualified prospects. And what I mean by that is ensure that you're putting people on the phone with prospects that actually want and need a conversation at that stage in their buying journey. And then as an organization and as a sales development rep, have a conversation with that prospect that is something that they would be willing to pay for. At that stage, if you're qualifying them to get a demo, you're qualifying them based on the need. And that prospect may not even understand the need. They may not have quantified the cost of a problem that they didn't even know that they have. So your job as an SDR is to help qualify on need, to loosen the status quo. So I guess you can have that rep sitting under sales as long as they're taking that kind of an approach in a consistent, repeatable way to be successful. If you want to hear how I fared in that debate, boys and girls, just go on to the VanillaSoft.com website to the resources page. Check out the webinars. You'll see it. It was fantastic. There, we did, there was a poll at the end. We did. Uh, I like to think I moved the needle dramatically. I'll let you figure out how dramatically it did move. But I love exactly what Matt's saying. One of the things I did glean on that you did there as well as you use the word qualification. The qualification process is, is interesting, right? Because that does span marketing and sales. Marketing qualified leads become sales qualified leads. And in that debate, that came up, which kind of led to a discussion around the role of the, t- of today's modern sales development rep, which is, and I contended, that today's modern sales development rep is as much of a marketer as they are a sales rep. They are doing as much marketing, if not often more than the actual marketing organization. They're tasked with sending emails on a regular basis, having their own cadence, making sure they're touching across multiple channels. Often they're tasked with creating their own content, for example, for social sharing and social selling. I have observed something recently, and I've shared this with many people. I was blown away by this. And Matt, I would love to see if you've experienced the same thing. In the function of my job as a marketer, I often send, you know, bulk emails, shall we say corporate emails to my various segments Maybe I'm inviting you to a webinar or what might be. In the last six months, it appears, I now start to get responses back. You know, historically, it'd be like, take me off your damn list or die in hell, you spammer, whatever it might be. Whereas now I'm getting responses like, your subject line sucks. Or it takes you, took you way too long to get to the call to action. I'm getting sales reps offering to coach and help me with my email marketing because their open rates and their sales engagement platform are really high. Sales development reps are quoting to me open rates and email best practices. That has never happened to me in my whole marketing career, which I think is fantastic, but I think it's a sign of the times. I would love to know what is your experience. Are you seeing this happen at all? Well, in some cases, I think there's still an awful lot of bad email practices out there. I don't know about you. I am regularly bombarded with emails from sales reps simply asking for 15 minutes of my time without out, without context, without anything. Their follow up a couple of days later with nothing other than just want to make sure you saw my email. So I think there's still a lot of very bad practices happening out there. But what you said at the beginning of, I 100% agree with. I think that a good SDR sounds more like a marketer than they do a salesperson. When we work with inside sales teams, one of the first rules we try to employ as a guideline is, you know, in that first call you have with a prospect, in the first qualifying call, either you're cold calling or you're following up on a lead, 
you're not allowed to talk about your product or service in that call. Now, if the prospect asks a direct question or they want to get into that specifically and on their, and, and they have proactively asked, then fine. But if you as a sales rep in that first call, as an SDR in that first prospect call, if you were not allowed to talk about your product or service, what kind of conversation would you have? What kind of questions would you ask? What kind of insights would you share with that prospect that helps them think differently about their business, their problems, their objectives, their status quo? Like that's a much more interesting conversation to have. That's a valuable conversation for a prospect to have. And it, it's the kind of conversation that earns you the second call. It earns you more time with that prospect. It earns you a prospect leaning back in their chair and saying, that's very interesting. I would have paid for that. I'd like to hear more from this sales rep as well as from this company. So yeah, that does sound more like an educational call. It sounds more like a marketing call, but I guarantee you that it will lead to more sales opportunities and a more qualified, committed prospect. It's funny to hear you say that because I often have conversations with people who are Early in the career, I'm dealing with one right now as a, an individual based out of the UK. He's found me on LinkedIn. He's following me. He's reached out to me. Hey, Daryl, you know, I want to have a career in this area. Can you help me? Give me some coaching. So now the other day I was going through his CV and I always teach them, listen, the purpose of the CV is just to get that first interview, that first call. Just like on a sales call, the purpose of the first sales call is to get the second sales call is to have a successful next step. That's all it is. Stop thinking about the home run. Think about the next step. And in other words, don't boil the ocean. Just hook them enough. Connect with them. And that's what messaging is all about. Let's bring it back. The sales development reps are doing this messaging so they can have that first call, as you talked about. You know, they had to connect with them first. So the common ways they're doing this, right, are phone, which seems to be the least popular anymore, although there's many phone advocates out there who would disagree with you. There's social, which seems to be the most popular, although to your point, Matt, they're doing it really, really bad. And there's email. So let's start with email. From your experience, what are some of the mistakes they're making on email, whether it be how it's formatted, the construct, whatever you want to go in, and then what should they be doing to better increase their likelihood to connect? So to me, I guess I'm looking at there's there's systematic ways and then there's messaging considerations. So yeah. open floor, you can talk about whatever you want. Well, a couple of ways to approach this. One, I think the earlier you are in your relationship with a prospect, the less you are able to, the less you are allowed to say. And that goes across all channels. It's voicemail, it's email, it's social. Like your prospect doesn't know you. They don't trust you. They got a million other things they're doing. They're crazy busy. So they're not going to read your 500 word email. They're not going to listen to your two minute voicemail. I mean, you think about your crazy busy prospect on Tuesday at 10 o'clock, 10 in the morning, right? They're not sitting at their desk reading your long email. What they're doing is running from meeting to meeting and they're stopping on the way in the modern phone booth, which is otherwise known as the bathroom stall. And they're sitting there checking their email. And what that means is they're not checking their email. Your job in between meetings on Tuesday at 10 o'clock is actually to delete email. So that first email you send to a prospect, the job, just to your point about like your job of the first meeting to get the second meeting, the job of that first email is to not get deleted, to sit around long enough that once they actually sit at their desk, they might read the sentence or two you put in there. The other thing that we see a lot of reps do is the emails they send, even if they're short, it's an ask, not a give. Like, I know ultimately you want a demo. I know ultimately you want to show someone your product. I know ultimately you want to close a deal. You're not going to get anywhere close to that unless you give the prospect something first. What can you do in one or two sentences that is a give, that is a, that is a gift, that is generous to that prospect that not only gets them to not delete that email while they're taking a restroom break in between meetings, 
but gets a response for their own good, for their own purpose, without any bait and switch, without anything expected in return. Your job at the beginning of this process is not to get a demo. It's to earn the prospect's trust and a reciprocation of interest. It doesn't take a lot, but it takes a special, more intentional approach to that email to make it work. So it's interesting you say that. The last episode we just recorded was with actually my CEO, David Hood. The reason we did the recording was because you could probably relate. Both he and I get pinged nonstop because we have budget with all of the email pitches, right? And the asks, not the gives. So we finally sat down on the podcast and we said, we're just going to share with you all the emails and the styles and the formats you're sending us. And we're going to tell you why we delete them. Sometimes do we delete them? Sometimes even if you come back to us six months later, you ticked us off so much the first time or you were disrespectful that even if your proposition now six months later is good, we're moving on without you. And one of the first things he said, it was he said was, when you send me an email, just get to the point. Please don't spend, you said 500 words. Please don't spend 500 words. Don't talk about the weather. Don't ask me how I'm doing. Don't tell me about Vanilla Soft in this case and how we seem to be doing great. And we saw that press release recently. I don't care. I know about the press release. I was part of it. Just get to the point. Next thing he said was, please tell me what's in it for me. Give me something. Don't do the ask. If you're treating me as a transaction, I'm out of here because I don't know who you are and you've given me no reason to act. To hear you say the same thing one episode later is really, really powerful. And I think this is coming not only from us doing a very similar thing and looking at all those bad emails. There's a small group of sort of friends in the industry. We share bad emails with each other on a regular basis. And what's interesting to think about with these emails, it's not like people are trying to send bad emails. Every one of those is sent with the best of intention. They may very well be sent by people that don't know that it's falling on deaf ears. Don't think about the fact that it's not working. I think when we go back to our default state in nature, I'm taking this all the way back. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, those of us sitting in front of microphones doing podcasts, typing emails that go to space before they go to the destination. They go. It wasn't that long ago, we, all we were doing was we were cavemen trying not to get eaten by tigers. When you're a caveman trying to not get eaten by tigers, you get very selfish very quickly. You think about yourself first and foremost. And so when we write emails we go back to that with if we're not thinking about it, if we're going back to our natural state. So you look at your sales email and you see how many times did I start a sentence with I or we? How often did I really prioritize my story versus yours simply because that's my default selfish caveman trying not to get eaten by lion state? And so even those people that understand that have to be conscious of that when they're writing emails, when they're, when they're sending voicemails. I mean, the same thing applies with voicemails. What are you doing in the first four to five seconds of a voicemail that gets your prospect to stop typing, that gets them to stop multitasking. They may not listen to the entire voicemail, but how do you get them to pay attention to enough that it might materially improve their trust in you and the, your credibility in their eyes so that the next time they see something from you, they're that much more likely to respond? It's funny you mentioned phone, right, in the voicemail. One of the things that David said, when I get a call, a cold call, and I answer it, and the first thing they said is, you know, hi, it's, it's Matt Hines, the Hines Marketing. You know, do you, do you have a couple minutes? His response is, well, I was doing something. The phone rang. I did its mental gymnastics in my mind saying, do I have time to answer this phone? It could be a sales call. I don't know the number. I can have a choice. I chose to answer it because I chose to answer it. Yes, I have time for the next 30 to 60 seconds, but you've just wasted most of that asking if I have time. Please get to the point. <laughs> 
And it's brilliant, right? It is. It's all about, I love your sayings, the ask versus the give. All right. I'm going to take a quick little break, and uh, we're going to come right back, and we're going to now flip over to the social side. So stay there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them. And they're only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is an engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing-qualified leads into sales-qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more by ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds persistently and with the cadence that's optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. All right, we're back. I love the uh, whole point is your task is to delete email. When I was thinking on the commercial break, that was what was resonating in my mind because I know that is 100% my behavior. Every morning I get up, the first thing I do is how many emails did I get overnight, for example, and I just go delete, 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 delete. Most I don't even open. If they don't have it in that kind of little preview window on my smartphone, I don't even bother. So just food for thought, folks. Ask versus give, that is really brilliant advice. And if you're not sure what that means, you know, what does ask versus give mean? Then ask your colleagues, because candidly, you said it best with the caveman thing. We revert to what's in it for me. And reality is, remember, you're doing it for your prospect. You're going to make their life better with whatever it is you're representing or selling. So you've got to convey that right away. You've got to connect with them on what's in it for them, which is a good segue for the social selling side. And, And you mentioned it as well. Talk about we all get those uh, emails, but it's equally the same way we get these unsolicited pitches where it's from a stranger, it can be a connection request, or it's immediately seconds after you accept the connection request where they're immediately pitching you. I've had many conversations with sales reps. I find many reps get indignant because their opinion is, for example, LinkedIn. It's a business network. I'm quoting them. Therefore, you should just know that you're going to get pitched. It is a business network. And I point out, well, it's a social media. And the first word is social, which starts off not with a pitch because you wouldn't go and try to sell your best friend or your mom right away, would you? And they're looking for permission to make it about them. So I guess with that, for all those who are using social selling as part of their actual sales development activities, what mistakes are you seeing? And how can you see them, advise them to improve it from well, a marketer's point mistakes. of view? I mean, I, I don't think our prospects are differentiating their experience between email and social and direct mail events. I mean, like our, our preferences as buyers, your preferences as someone looking for what's in it for me as a buyer is the same across all channels. So I don't think just because social is faster and easier means that people are you know, sort of necessarily sort of you know, compelled or obligated to respond. I think social media in particular, but sort of prospecting in general, is kind of like driving by someone's house at 30 miles an hour and trying to get something to the mailbox. I mean, you're going to miss a lot. You're going to miss maybe most of the time. When they do stop and see you, when they do check the mailbox, when they're walking back to their house with that stack of mail, 
what do you have in there that's of value enough that they will actually bring it in versus drop it in the recycle bin on the way into the house? Like what is interesting enough about that content that makes them take notice? It's probably not going to compel them to buy something from you right away, but it's part of the building block of building trust, credibility, differentiation. So the next time they see something in the mailbox, they're likely to open it. The next time they see your car drive by, they're going to associate that with something usually of value in their inbox. And I don't mean that in a creepy way, but I just mean that you are you are building credibility for yourself, not by a single email, not by a single tweet, but through a body of work. And I think the social channels give you a, a far more frequent, more passive opportunity to drive by the house more often. And ideally put something of such value in the inbox. You take your marketing and your sales efforts from being interruptive to irresistible. What do you say to the sales development rep that is, you know, they're hungry. You know, they're working it. They're doing their activities. And they say, I don't buy it. You know that you're going to get pitched. So I'm not going to pretend to go through the multiple drive-bys of the house that's just disingenuous. I'm just going to get it out the right well, way. Well, if so you you're don't pretending, then you're already losing. If you're not authentically interested in trying to make your prospects smarter, if you're not authentically willing to invest in building a relationship and building trust and value, if you really just want a shortcut right to the demo, you may get a couple. But the collateral damage you're going to do with the rest of the prospects that just think of you as a, he's only in it for himself, he only wants his 15 minutes for a demo – I've heard many, many, many buyers tell me that they will just not work with a rep, not work with a company, even if they need what they're selling, if they have that kind of approach. So, look, I mean, so I, we all want to close deals. I'm doing this as well. Like everything we're talking about today, I'm not an SDR, but I am the sales arm for our small consulting firm. So I want deals to close faster. I want to get to a capabilities discussion faster. But I also know that sometimes three steps is faster than one. Sometimes three steps is more efficient than one to get to where I want to go. That's not my rule. That's the prospect's rule and the prospect win. It's interesting because I remember having a conversation not too long ago with another individual who actually, and I call him out on it, and I was professional, which is great. I find LinkedIn actually, you can do that. You can have these conversations that are really professional and say, dude, you know, I'm shooting straight with you. And, uh, and his response to me was, it actually blew me away how candid he was with me. And he's like, Daryl, I get it. I hear you. It's a numbers game. I'm sorry I offend you, but... If I do this enough, it's like dating. Eventually, I'm going to get someone who's a buyer, and that's what I'm playing for. I'm not worried about those who I offend or those whose etiquette I uh, I upset. It's a numbers game. Found it so interesting. You talk about uh, the consequences of that because I think that's that's where I go through. I go, you may have some short term gains, but long term, you're going to completely. Well, I don't fail disagree with the premise. It is a numbers game, but you got to use the right numbers. Like if all like, like there's. There are companies in our industry, in the sales or marketing industry, that you've probably seen the same way that I have. On one hand, they brag about how many appointments they generate and how fast they're growing and how many customers they're signing up. And then as a prospect, I've been exposed to just how selfish their sales development efforts are. Like I get, I'll get an email every other day with nothing more than, can I have 15 minutes of your time? When can I have 15 minutes of your time? When can I get my 15 minutes, right? That's all it is. And so, yeah, you do that with enough prospects, some are going to say yes. And those that say yes, some might actually want to buy from you. So if you do enough activity, you could probably close some deals that way. But the collateral damage you're doing with everybody else, the reputation you're building, especially if you are marketers selling to marketers that are even more sensitive to that kind of, 
behavior. It is not a long-term path to success. And and here's the other challenge you have. If you are a sales rep and you are doing this for your company and all of a sudden your company says, we don't want to do that anymore, and you replace that sales rep, those prospects don't think about it as the sales rep's, sales rep's uh, problem. It's your company's problem. So even if you have a rogue sales rep doing this, even if you as a sales rep are doing this, the it, the, the brand impact on your business is going to last far longer than the day you're fired. That is a powerful point. And it's something I hadn't even thought about bringing up this episode, but you're right. And if you're, you know, you're in sales listening to Matt right now, look at your colleagues. Are, are they creating a little bit of roadkill that's going to cause you grief? Maybe they're here for the short term, you're here for the long term, and you're going to have to clean up after them. You need to have that conversation with them or your leadership. But, uh, and if you find they're not open to the conversation, then maybe it's not the right place for you. Um, so if I bring this back full circle, kind of lessons learned, cause we always like to learn something on the inside, inside sales show, which is, I heard you say a few things. I heard you say every single one of your prospects, the first thing they're looking to do is to delete email. So you better make that email short, sweet to the point, which leads to the second point is whether it's email or social, it's not about the ask, which you're asking of them. It's about the give. What can you give them? How can you make their life better? How can you intrigue them enough because they want to know more? It's not about that first call, or that first email. It's about using that as a stepping stone to the next call, or the next email. And the last thing I heard you say was be patient. Play the long game. Sometimes three steps are physically faster than one. So if you're a sales development rep, guess what? Your marketing, you just heard it from the master himself, Matt Hines, giving you brilliant advice. Everything he said there applies as much to marketing as it does to sale. So there you have it. Welcome to the marketing team, guys. I'm glad to have you here. Matt, with that said, if they want to learn more about you and your kick-ass operation, where do they Our go? kick-ass operation, Daryl, it's mostly at HeinzMarketing.com, just H-E-I-N-Z, like the ketchupmarketing.com. You can find a lot of our... Find our uh, our blog post there, a lot of our best practice guide. We do a ton of research on sales and marketing. You find it all up there. Um, our podcast, which I'm very much looking forward to having you on, is a Sales Pipeline Radio. You can find that at salespipelineradio.com. And just, I'm at just Matt, M-A-T-T, at HeinzMarketing.com. Would love to hear from anyone listening. Any feedback, good, bad, indifferent, feel free to disagree. That's That's part of the fun. That is part of the fun. Bring the discussion, folks. Bring it on LinkedIn. Give us your comments. We do want that feedback. You can go to inside, insidesales.com to see all of the episodes, including, of course, this one. If you haven't already, we kind of ask that you like, share, comment, subscribe, review, do whatever you want to, or spread the word about the show. In the meantime, we are out of here. Thank you so much today, Matt, for your time, and I'll see you on the other side. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by VanillaSoft. VanillaSoft.